We've had a good introduction today to a, a day that happened actually this week, uh, Ascension Day. I don't know about you, but growing up in the Midwest for me, we never really heard much about or even thought much about this day. And it wasn't until I moved out here to this area 15 years ago that I really started thinking about it. Uh, Ascension Day, which generally falls on the weekday, during the week sometime, what I noticed, at least around the Ephrata area where we live, all the back roads are filled, I mean literally filled with horses and buggies. And all of the conservative Mennonite businesses that we frequent, and one of our favorites is Paul B. Zimmerman's Hardware, is closed. And even as I was getting ready for the sermon, this week, wouldn't you know it, Thursday afternoon, on my way home from work, I stopped at Hoover's Farm Market to pick up some tomato plants. I need to get them planted. It was closed. It's like, oh, I got me again. Ascension Day. The first time I experienced this, I was left shaking my head. It was just like, what in the world is this about? And why would Ascension Day be such an important religious holiday for these Mennonite and Amish communities. And while I can't really speak for these Mennonite and Amish communities, I can tell you why it is an important day in the Christian faith tradition. Ascension Day is the day when the church remembers and celebrates that Jesus is exalted, Jesus is Lord. And in the words of N.T. Wright, that Jesus is exalted as Lord of the cosmos, supreme over all the powers. This, of course, is theological reflection. It's a meaning given to the event, this event of Jesus' ascension into heaven, by people of faith who for many years thought about what happened and they wondered about what it all meant. What I wonder about this morning is how Jesus' disciples would have experienced this happening. What was it like for them? A number of years ago, they had met a very impressive rabbi who asked them to leave everything and to follow him, and they did. And during their time with him, through all that he said, through all that he did, their hopes were stirred. And maybe that's even too mild of a word. Their hopes were, were raised. And they thought that he might be the one come to restore the kingdom to Israel. They thought that he might be the Messiah. And the longer that they were with him, the more they became convinced that this was the case. And then he was arrested and he was publicly executed, and all those hopes that had been raised, they came crashing down. And then, then he came back. He was alive again, and he was with them, and he interacted with them, and he ate with them, and he kept talking with them about the kingdom of heaven, about the kingdom of God. So, so now what? There's a sense of anticipation in the air. It feels like something more is going to happen. But what? So in the midst of all this expectancy, the disciples, they just finally put it out there. Okay, is this the time 
when you will finally restore the kingdom of God to Israel? They asked Jesus. I don't know. I think, I think at that point, if I had been Jesus, I would have probably thrown up my arms and said, I give up. After having spent three years as Jesus' closest friends and followers, after having witnessed his life, his death, his resurrection, these guys still don't get it. They still don't understand what Jesus is all about. Now, Jesus is really quite gracious in his response. Instead of answering their question directly, though, he reframes it. And the essence of what he says is this. When and how God's kingdom is going to fully come is not for you to know. That is in God's hands. In the meantime, don't concern with yourself with all the whens and with all the hows. Instead, concern yourself with waiting for the Spirit, waiting for the Holy Spirit, who will come and who will empower you to go and to give witness to all that you have seen and all that you have heard. In Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, right there in those few sentences, Jesus has summed up the whole storyline of the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit comes upon God's people at Pentecost, and they are empowered to share the good news of God's love, to share the good news of God's kingdom, breaking in here and now to all people everywhere, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. But before the disciples having a chance to ask any questions, Jesus is mysteriously lifted up into heaven and he, he disappears from their sight. Wait a minute. He's left them again. And this roller coaster ride that they've been on takes a severe nosedive. Now what? What's supposed to happen next? Where do they go from here? The disciples are anxious. They're perplexed, bewildered. They, they look up to the sky. And that's when the two men in white robes show up. They march right up to the disciples, and they say, Why are you standing there looking up at an empty sky? Don't worry. Don't worry. He's going to come back just as certainly and just as mysteriously as he left. In the meantime, keep your eyes on the ground because you've got work to do. Perhaps it's at this point that the disciples remember that hmm, Jesus had just said a few things to them right before he left. Things like, wait. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Then go. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, but also in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And that's exactly what they end up doing. They wait together. These men who had been Jesus' disciples and the women who had been following and supporting Jesus all along the way, and even Jesus' mother and his brothers, they wait in an upper room, constantly devoting themselves to prayer. In prayer, they remember Jesus' words that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. In prayer, they remember Jesus' promise that ask and it will be given you. God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. In prayer, they invite the Holy Spirit to come upon them. They make space. They, they open themselves and make space for God's Spirit to work among them. Exactly what it's going to look like, they don't know. Exactly what it will mean for their lives, they don't know. But they do know this. They know that at this time and place, they have been called to gather and to pray together and to wait for the promise of God. And that's where we find ourselves this morning on this Sunday before Pentecost. We are invited into a space of waiting, into a time of prayer, into a season of simply living with the question, now what? The question comes to us at many different times in our lives and in many different ways. I'm graduating from high school, or I'm graduating from college. Now what? I've lost my job. Now what? All our children have left home. Now what? I've been diagnosed with a debilitating illness. Now what? My wife died. We've been married for 60 years. Now what? For each of us, the list is different. And for each of us, the list could go on and on. And the question comes to us not only as individuals, but also it comes to us here in our congregation. Recently, we lost two pastors that we loved. Dawn came to help out in the interim, and she will be leaving us too. Now what? These are questions without clear answers. We can ignore them. We can become anxious about them. Or we can welcome them. We can welcome them and wait. Waiting can be so difficult. Will Willimon goes so far as to call waiting an onerous burden for us computerized and technically impatient moderns who live in a world of instant everything. We want answers, and we want them yesterday. And we feel like we can't afford to wait because waiting feels like doing nothing, and if we do nothing, well, you fill in the blank. 
but there is a place for waiting. And I'd like to suggest three reasons why waiting is sometimes an important part of our calling. And yes, I would call it sometimes waiting is a calling that we have. First, waiting helps us acknowledge our need for God. Again, in the words of Will Williman, our waiting implies that the things which need doing in this world are beyond our ability to accomplish solely by our own efforts. We need to wait for the power and for the guidance of God's Spirit. Second, waiting helps us step out in faith. Our waiting can be a way of saying, you know, we can't see or understand everything that's going on. But we trust, we trust that God is somehow at work here and that when the time is right, God will show us, God will show us how to join in. Third, Waiting helps us open ourselves to God's possibilities, to possibilities that we ourselves might never have imagined. In waiting, we open ourselves to the imagination of the Spirit who creates new opportunities for healing and hope within each one of us and within our congregation and within our local community and within our world. Very simply put, prayerful waiting opens the door for God's Spirit to enter in and to empower us and to send us on our way to share and to live the good news of what we have seen and heard. Right now, our congregation finds itself in a season of waiting. Today at our members' meeting, we'll be looking at job descriptions for our pastoral, for future pastoral staff. And once those are in place, approved by this body, the search committee will begin the work of the pastoral search. And the rest of us, well, we'll wait. My hope for us during this time is that it will be a time of prayerful and fruitful waiting, a time when we as a congregation intentionally place our trust in God, a time when we open ourselves to God's spirit among us, so that in the words of Ephesians 1.18, and I love the imagery here, so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened to what God is doing among us and for what God is wanting for us so that we might know deep within us the hope to which God has called us. In that spirit, in the season of waiting, as we wait for Pentecost, as we wait for so many other things in our lives, will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, breath of God, disperse the shadows over us, renew and strengthen your people. Come, Holy Spirit.
You are our only comforter, peace of the soul. In the heat, you shade us. In our labor, you refresh us. And in trouble, you are our strength. Come, Holy Spirit. Kindle in our hearts the flame of your love that in the darkness of the world it may glow and reach to all forever. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>